The Watership Down podcast is intended for listeners who are familiar with the plot. There will be spoilers. This episode is scripted, recorded, edited and narrated by Newell Fisher. Hello and welcome to the Watership Down podcast episode 123 in which we will be looking at season 1, episode 1 of the TV series and episode 1 of the series overall, The Promised Land. First, though, a bit of borough keeping. Can I remind you again about our appeal to raise funds for the Rabbit Welfare Association and Fund via JustGiving.com, the link to which will be in the notes, or just search JustGiving.com under my name, Newell Fisher. On the subject of animal welfare, I allowed myself to get a little more political than usual last week by posting the news that the devolved government of Wales here in the UK has just finally banned the use of snares at long last. The most political I have ever got on this podcast was in episode 13 on chapter 17 of the 1972 novel The Shining Wire, where I condemned their use in pretty forthright terms. Where I live, in England, their use remains legal, though with some controls. Let's hope the rest of the UK, England, Scotland and Northern Ireland, or the North of Ireland, follows Wales' example soon. Lastly, just a reminder that I am now showcasing Watership Down fan art by posting any that is submitted as the podcast title image on YouTube and posting the art on the podcast Instagram feed with no podcast title getting in the way, all of course with full credit given. I am not actively canvassing for contributions, so if you want to showcase your Watership Down themed art or know of someone else's art that you think should be, please get in touch with me either by social media or by emailing me at the Watership Down podcast, all one word, at outlook.com. Anyway, let's get back to Watership Down as you have never seen it before. opening credit sequence of seasons one and two. Before we get into the actual action, I just want to first go through the opening title sequence used in seasons one and two, as it is an interesting example of such a sequence for an animation aimed at children, at least I think so, and also gives us an immediate insight into what we can expect from the series. I will focus just on the visuals and not the credits that appear on screen during it, Though it is right to mention that the opening theme, except at the end when Bright Eyes takes over, is called In Fields of Sun and was composed by Andrew Lloyd Webber. The sequence opens with a compass filling the screen as the main orchestral theme plays. The camera zooms in on this compass that is decorated with symbols around its edge as a pointer on the compass moves clockwise to point down towards a landscape. The main section of the opening sequence will consist of the camera moving around over this landscape that is very different from the actual landscape the book is set in. As it does so, passing clouds will conceal and reveal key locations as we pass them. I've reconstructed the entire landscape from these panning shots on Instagram. There will be a link to this in the notes. First, as our view crosses a river that may represent the Enborn, we find ourselves immediately at Nuthanger Farm, presumably still to its south, meaning that our viewpoint is from the west. The camera now turns west, moving backwards to reveal Cowslip's Warren close by in a dip or valley, then south again, past a bridge that seems to carry a train track heading east over a river heading for what must be the test before curving away to the south. Past that we see the river that must be the test with two stone bridges crossing it. 
and past that, to the south of the river, is an old twisted leafless tree that is labelled Ephrafa. The camera heads north again to the railway bridge, and now for the first time it changes orientation, rotating anti-clockwise and zooming in on a group of distant rabbits as they emerge from undergrowth at the place where the apparent train track turns south. The implication seems to be that they have come across along the train track over the bridge from the west as opposed to coming from the north as in the book. The shot dissolves to a closer one of these five rabbits as they reach the crest of a hill and gather as a group to look to the east. Five are first on the left, then Hazel to his right, Dandelion between them, then Bigwig to Hazel's right, followed by Pipkin to his. Neither Dandelion nor Hawkbit are included here. The view of the camera, now immersed in the landscape, now rises to reveal an out-of-focus distant watership down, its scarp slope pointing north, and then the focus changes to make the group of rabbits out of focus and watership down in focus. As it does this, the musical theme via a woodwind bridge changes to a choral rendition of the main theme from Bright Eyes in a special arrangement for this sequence. The down features a wooded area to its south and north of that by the scarp slope a huge lone tree out of proportion with the hill on which it stands. And now as the Bright Eyes theme continues we cut to the group from the front focusing first on a happy looking fibre on the right end, end of the group from this side looking straight ahead. To his left is a satisfied looking blackberry also looking ahead. As the camera pulls back, we see Hazel looking at both of them. Then with delighted surprise, he looks in the direction they are looking in, before looking back at them with a pleased expression. Meanwhile, a determined looking bigwig looks to his side, and then towards Watership Down, as the young Pipkin looks away from Watership Down to Bigwig and Hazel in admiration. The camera is pulling back to reveal the whole group, as the singing changes to a single voice, presumably Stephen Gately. As her view pulls back further, a floral crescent forms around the group from below as the landscape melts away. The title tableau is completed as the Bright Eyes theme reaches its end and the sun in some cloud appears above them. And below that sun, the title Watership Down appears in a neutral, double-lined capital font. Fade to black. The use of Bright Eyes in this way is all about familiar cultural reference and nothing to do with appropriate context. After all, for all its beauty, it is a song about death. And that really sums up this series in comparison with the 1978 film. The film was very sensitive to what it was portraying on screen for the first time ever. This series, freed from that responsibility, plays far more fast and loose with the legacy of that which it portrays. And that means the legacy of both the 1972 novel and 1978 film. This also applies to the locations in the series. In this reimagined landscape, all the warrens are far closer together than in the original, while Sandalford, which we never see, seems to possibly lie further to the west, though still on the north side of the Enborn, while Ephrafa is apparently transplanted to the southern side of the River Test. And perhaps, though we know the changes to the original story will soon encounter displeased Richard Adams, that playing fast and loose with the legacy is understandable. After all, it was intended for a younger audience, for whom that legacy meant precisely nothing at the time. All that mattered to such an audience was the story presented to them there and then, regardless of its origin, and making that story exciting for them was, of commercial necessity, the main priority of the filmmakers. Season 1, Episode 1, The Promised Land the first episode of the Watership Down TV series was first broadcast in the UK on the 28th of September 1999. It was written by Martin Riley. 
There will be a link to the full episode on YouTube in the notes, because that is one advantage of going through a series that is no longer of significant commercial value. You can easily watch it for free. As the credits end, woodwind music accompanies a view over trees. The camera pans up to show the watership down of this series in the distance. Panning shots of sky and downs accompany the final credits, and then a seagull soars from behind a cloud. This is Kihar. In the next shot, we see watership down from the air, represented as down, a downland plateau projecting out from the land behind it, with a lone tree at its centre. Kihar swoops around the tree while crying out his name, and the shot pans to the woodland behind the lone tree on watership down. And now we are at ground level in woodland with rabbits. You could be forgiven for thinking they are in the woods we just saw, but they are not, though only someone who knows the story would know that as soon as the next scene's conversation begins. After all, we've opened the story with Kihar flowing over Watership Down, so anything is possible. Pipkin chases a butterfly past Hawkbit and Dandelion, then Blackberry, Bigwig and finally Fiverr and Hazel sitting on a slight rise. Bigwig speaks first, telling him to stay close before we see a close-up on a smiling Fiverr but his face rapidly changes as he had a, has a sudden vision. Hazel asks him what he can see. He replies, High lonely hills where the wind carries every whisper. We see his vision of the vastly out-of-proportion tree on Watership Down, and he tells Hazel that's where they have to go. As soon as Hazel asks if it is very far, we hear Kihar again in the distance. The rabbits are cowed by the sound of him. Pipkin is intrigued at the sight of him soaring in the sky and is immediately patronised by Bigwig after the doe Blackberry reassures him that not all birds are a lil. All the characters are getting a chance to introduce themselves now, as Hawkbit puts Bigwig down as being a know-it-all captain of Owsler, Bigwig's first promotion in the Watership Down universe. Bigwig says he, they would have never gotten this far without him, to which Hawkbit replies that they should never have left Sandalford. Let's give some context here. These are the woods sound south of Sandalford Warren, which doesn't appear in the series at all. We have joined the story here at the equivalent of the end of Chapter 7, The Lendry and the River, in the 1972 novel. But Kihar is already present, almost acting as a herald for the new home they are seeking. And now Fiverr's vision continues with a warning that there was no hope for anyone who stayed behind. Dandelion pipes up for the first time, denigrating Fiverr's habit of having visions. Hawkbit joins in with the mockery and Bigwig laughs. So, why exactly did they leave Sandalford along with Fiverr? But there has been enough talking for now. Some action is needed. After all, this series is aimed at children. That action begins with the sound of a dog barking. Bigwig says it hasn't got their scent yet, and Hazel suggests they go before it does. And now we see the dog. It is not the relatively benign collie of the 1978 film. This dog is more like a Rottweiler and has an angry face. At present it is barking up a tree at a squirrel, but then we see it sniffing the ground. After a few moments it begins running towards the rabbits. We see them running away from it now, as Bigwig says it now has their scent. Hazel says to Bigwig that they need to dis distract the dog to give the others a chance to get away. What follows is a perfect example of the kind of relatively calm event from the original, original book, the drama of which is vastly increased here for a younger audience. Hazel and Bigwig hide in a hollow log and taunt the dog by emerging from each end one at a time, making it run from one end to the other in true Rousby Wolf style. Eventually the dog tires of this and squeezes into one end of the log in an attempt to get them. It is now thoroughly enraged, so they leave from the other end and roll the log down a slope where it smashes against the tree, leaving the dog dazed. Meanwhile, 
The rest of the rabbits have reached the river Enbourne and have realised there is no easy place to cross. Hazel and Bigwig turn up at a run and Bigwig orders them to swim the river immediately. Pipkin says he will not be able to, and while Hazel and Bigwig discuss defending the others from the dog in a last stand, Blackberry is looking for a solution, which she finds almost straight away. There is a log floating on the riverbank. She points out that it floats. Fiverr understands straight away and tells Pipkin to jump in and hold on to the log. Fiverr joins him as Blackberry holds it steady. And then the dog arrives, enraged. Blackberry pushes the log out into the river and swims after it. Bigwig pushes Hazel in and follows him just as the dog arrives at the riverbank. The log, with Fiverr and Pipkin holding onto it, is floating across the river in the right direction. But now it begins to turn and float back towards the dog. We see Hawkbit and Dandelion arrive at the other side of the river. They look back in shock to see the two small rabbits floating towards the dog. Hawkbit shouts a warning to Bigwig as the dog jumps in the river. Fiverr tells Pipkin he's sorry it will end like this. Just then, Bigwig surfaces between them, them and the dog, just in time, and pushes it in the right direction away from the dog, which gives up for some reason and climbs up on the other bank bedraggled, with final growl in the rabbit's general direction. Hazel congratulates Blackberry on her trick, and says that it is worthy of Ella For now we come to one of the saddest implications of language in this series. The name Ella was thought to be too complicated for children, and so here it is shortened to just Ella I'm not sure how that translates into a laypine. Hawkbit wants to rest, but Hazel insists they have to press on, and Bigwig backs up his order. Their progress towards Watership Down restarted. Kiha the Herald is seen and heard again in the sky. Eventually they come to the bean field where they rest. Pipkin wants to explore, and despite Hazel telling him not to go too far, he ends up at the edge of the field, having followed a frog. And here, the encounter with a bird happens. In the novel, this consisted of Pipkin and Fiverr being attacked by a crow on their way to the beanfield. In the 1978 film, this was the point at which Violet, their only doe, was taken by a bird of prey. In the se this series, the encounter with the bird will be very different. Pipkin surprises Kiha the seagull, who is sitting on a fence at the edge of the field. And so a rabbit meets Kiha 14 chapters earlier than in the 1972 novel. They have a conversation in which Kiha reveals he has lost his peak water, which he translates as meaning the sea, and is hungry. Pipkin says it must be wonderful to fly, and would mean they could find the high hill they're trying to get to. Kiha realises they are lost as well, and mentions someone called Hannah, who is also lost. Hannah is apparently a mouse, and says that if you have no home, you should make your home where you find yourself. Apparently she is nice, but confusing. We hear Hawkit calling to Big Pitkin, who introduces himself to Kiha and says it was nice to meet him before going back. Kiha says it would be nicer if Pitkin had fish, and after commenting that everyone is lost, flies off again. It is now later in the rabbit's journey, and they find themselves in an open, desolate place that I suppose is meant to represent Newtown Common. Hawkbit and Dandelion are feeling demoralised. Hawkbit wants to return to Sandalford and says that Bigwig only dare not because he abandoned the Owsler and is afraid of Captain Holly. Fiverr says there is nothing to go back to. Bigwig orders them to move on, but says to Hazel they can't keep going just on the promise of dreams. It begins to rain. This is the point in the original story at which they encounter the Warren of the Snares, but not here. As they climb the brow of another hill, and just as Fiverr begins to doubt himself after tripping and falling in a puddle, the mists clear, and Bigwig spots the promised high hills in the distance, just as Fiverr dreamt. And now they can smell Flayra. 
so it is that they come to Nuthanger Farm. Bigwig wants to raid it straight away, pointing out that the motto of the Owlsley is Who Dares Wins, but Hazel cautions them to wait until dark. In order to keep their spirits up, Hazel suggests Standalion tells them a story, and so it is that the story of the blessing of Elacherar, or rather Elorar, appears about eleven chapters later than in the novel, only here it is called Frith's Blessing. As in the 1978 film, the portrayal of the story is more abstract than the rest of the action. However, not having yet encountered the Warren of the Snares, the inspiration for its style will not yet be clear, but the disjointed form of the characters in the story are inspired by the shapes of the Warren of the Snares that we have yet to encounter. At first we see the story being told by Dandelion, which makes this the first time a rabbit storyteller of Watership Down is properly portrayed on film. The story, though its telling is short, is broadly the same as the one from the novel except that Frith blesses the Allele in his sun cave, where, interestingly, we briefly see a design of Frith and his rays picked out with stones. It is now dark at Nuthanger Farm, and Bigwig says it is time for the raid to start. And now we meet Hannah the Mouse for the first time, as Kihar surprises her as she is entering a farm building. They had previously tried stealing fish for Kihar from the farm cat, which nearly didn't turn out so well. Elsewhere on the farm, the rabbits are already inside a barn eating flayra, or the best of food, vegetables grown by humans. Meanwhile, Hannah and Kihar have spotted fish left out for the cat. Kihar starts to eat, but he hasn't spotted the cat nearby, who leaps at him, yowling. Bigwig hears the cat, and the rabbits all make a run for it. As Pipkin passes a barn door, he hears Kihar shouting at the cat, and Hannah bumps into him before shouting at the rabbits to run for their lives, and that the cat has got Kihar. Pipkin recognises his name from their conversation at the beanfield. Meanwhile, Bigwig and Hazel have realised that Pipkin has stopped running. Angrily, they return to the barn with the other rabbits. We can hear Kihar shouting defiance at the cat. Pipkin says they have to help him as he is lost just like them. The cat and Kihar are facing each other, Kihar still defiant. The cat rises up to strike and lashes out at Kihar's wing. Behind it, Hazel, Bigwig and Hawkbeak have entered the barn. The cat prepares to strike again and a stack of pots fall over on it, giving Kihar the chance to escape with one last fish, followed by the rabbits. We see the cat, unharmed, emerge from the pile of pots and begin to eat the one fish Kihar has left. Outside the farm, they all rest. Kihar's wing is hurt, and he cannot fly for now. Pipkin says he should come to, with them to the high hills. Bigwig protests, but Hazel agrees. There is a full moon. Tardly, they all make their way to the foot of the down, and after a brief conversation about how, how far it is to the top, we are treated to one of the iconic shots from this series. The one used for this episode's image as, silhouetted against an un enlarged blue full moon, they make way their way to the top of Watership Down, with the walking hee-haw bringing up the rear, accompanied by dramatic orchestral music. And now it is early morning, which means the full moon we saw was setting. On the real warship down, that would mean it should be on the other western side of the horizon, and the rabbit should have been silhouetted from the other side. But we've already established that the original geography doesn't matter here. We see the large tree on top of the down. Then we see the whole group, Bigwig, Hawkbit, Hazel, Pipkin, Blackberry, Dandelion, Fiverr, and Hannah on Kihar's back, having been given a lift from Nuttanger Farm. Hazel says this is where they will start again. Kihar agrees it is a very good place, slightly spoiling the mood. Hannah announces that it is called Watership Down. Shall we be charitable and say that this was just a translation of whatever she called it? In any case, Hannah is not the first animal to use its human name. 
This honour, I believe, goes to Heisenthay, who, in the chapter Heisenthay in Action in Tales from Watership Down, published three years earlier in 1996, refers to herself as a watership rabbit. Whatever word or words rabbits or mice use for watership down, we never find out what they are, as they are always translated into English. In any case, Fiverr repeats the name watership down, and then says, home. The camera zooms in on that iconic tree. And we hear Stephen Gately singing the main refrain from Bright Eyes as the credits play with a distant view of Watership Down in the background. Is it canon? Yes, this section is still here. Did you really think it had gone away? This first episode of the TV series is a very patchy retelling of part one of the 1972 novel, as well as the first chapter of part two. The first five chapters concerning leaving Sandalford Warren are left out altogether, as well as chapters 12 to 17 concerning the Warren of the Snares, although it will appear in a later episode. This leaves us with just chapters 6 to 11 from part one and the first chapter 18 from part two. Hazel and Bigwig's dealing with the dog is pure children's cartoon, and when I first watched this series, it was that scene that made me question whether or not I should carry on. But it is, as I may have mentioned, made for children. However, the story of the blessing of Elachera, or Frith's blessing as it is called here, is told closer to its original context in the novel than in the 1978 film, and crucially, this is the first animated portrayal of Watership Down to actually portray a rabbit storyteller, more specifically Dandelion something the 1978 film did not portray at all except briefly in the very last scene. So that one small aspect of this first episode is very much canon. Next time, episode two of season one, Home on the Down. Mm -hmm.